everybody. It's a new year in case you didn't know it stuck up on you. What do people do in the new year? We usually make resolutions. I know a lot of people aren't this year. Did anybody make any? Yes. What, what did you make? Uh, more time in prayer. More time in prayer. What a great resolution. That's great. Angie, man, setting the spiritual bar high. Now everybody else is resolutions. No way. Go ahead. Oh, build up your endurance, like physical endurance, weightlifting, exercise, or something like that. Okay, awesome. Anybody else? Yes. I want to wash my face at night every day. Wash your face at night. Okay. It's great. Nicole. To see red flags for toxic people. Oh, red flags for toxic people. That's cool. Now, I don't want to discourage anybody, but if you know statistics hold, about eighty percent of us who set resolutions are going to give up on those around February. And so consistently, most people can go four good weeks, maybe six good weeks, and say, you know what, I'm keeping, I'm holding on to this, and then, you know, February rolls around, and it's cold and dark, and we say, man, that was impossible, that was impractical, and we revert back to our routines. I'm going to suggest this year, rather than just setting resolutions, that we change our routines. Let's redefine our routines. See, I believe that what we do consistently every day, day after day, actually affects who we become, what kind of people we turn into. The attitudes and the actions that we foster end up affecting what kind of person we are becoming. You know, an angry, miserable people, have you ever met those toxic people, you know, you meet them, you're like, how they get like that? It's not like one day they just woke up and like, I'm angry and miserable. You know, like, it was a course of taking actions again and again until they became that person. Um, the other day, Darby was standing in the way of the kitchen, and I was like, I want to get in the kitchen. Get out of my way. And she's like, why are you so angry? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's not just like all of a sudden I became angry, right? I've been had a shorter temper lately. I've been more impatient. Why is that? Because in 2020, I've been consistently taking actions day after day that have made me a more impatient and angry person. I, I started sitting down and I was like, how do I stop being angry? How do I stop being impatient? Have you ever thought that? And you're like, I don't know. You know, sometimes Darby and I will be in a disagreement. And I'm like, how can I become better? She's like, this? You've been doing this for seven years of marriage. Stop doing it. And I'm like, how do I stop? How do I change it? I think it's the way that we change our routines, the things that we do day in and day out, the repeated things that end up affecting who we become and what we become like. Angry, miserable people don't choose to be angry and miserable. They embrace a routine that makes them angry and miserable. And what I believe is, if you don't, if you're not intentional about your routine, you will naturally become angry and miserable. That's why we have a lot more angry, miserable people than we do people full of peace and joy, and I don't know about you, but I want to be a person full of peace and joy. And so today I'm going to talk about what we should do with our routines, the things that we should do day in and day out to become people of peace and joy and love. I believe we don't choose destiny in a moment, we choose our destiny in how we order our moments, in how we consistently choose to do things again and again and again, those things, those behaviors, those habits, those routines affect you. Now, I think that most of us hope to one day just wake up and live in love like Jesus. Like, that's, I'm like, man, you know, if I hang around the church, I, I read enough of my Bible, maybe I pray enough, one day I'm just going to wake up and I'm going to be like Jesus. 
Um, regardless of what you think about Jesus, you might be like, you know what, Jesus sounds like a nice guy, but a long time ago, don't think he's God, don't know what to think about him. I think, though, that you could look at what he taught and how he lived and think, you know what, I'd like to live like that. I'd like to love people like that. I'd like to treat people like that. I think that most reasonable people, most reasonable people would agree, if everyone on the planet lived and loved like Jesus did, the world would be a better place. I know I'd be a better husband. I know I'd be a better employee. I'd be a better citizen of America and of the world. And I think my neighbors and my friends and my family would be too. If I lived and loved more like Jesus, if I looked more like Jesus, my life would be a better place, the world would be a better place. But I don't think that happened by accident. And I think many people who are attending church today or online are actually hoping that just by accident one day it'll kind of click and they'll suddenly look like I think we have a lot of miserable, angry people in churches, angry, miserable people who say, I'm a Christian, I believe some things about Jesus and God and about the Bible, who are actually angry and miserable because they think becoming like Jesus happens by accident. But it actually happens because of the routines we establish in our daily lives, our weekly lives, our monthly lives, our quarterly lives, our yearly lives. The disciplines we embrace the way we order the moments of our lives affect who we become. At the end of my life, I know some old, older people, elderly people, um, who are in their 80s, who have been really miserable people. My grandfather, I love my grandfather, he's passed away now, but he was one of the most miserable, angry people I've ever met in my life. He hated everything and everybody, and he wasn't afraid to say it, because the older he got, he was just like, I'm going to be more vocal about how much I hate everybody and everything. And I think to myself, I don't want to become that. And then I've known some people in their 80s who are some of the most sweet and loving and kind people, some of the most generous and compassionate people I've ever met. And I'm like, I want to become like that. And I decide that by what routine I embrace right now, today, tomorrow, Now, ancient Christians called the way they ordered their routines a rule of life. That's the name of our message today, a rule of life. Now, depending on your background in Christianity, you may have heard of this before, you may not have. But when I grew up, it was just like, read your Bible a lot and you'll turn into Jesus. And what I found was that wasn't enough. Like, you could learn a lot about the Bible without actually looking like Jesus. Now, you say, what is a rule of life? Um, the word rule may seem outdated to you if you're like, I don't like telling people rules, I don't like rules. Some people call it a rhythm of life. But it's essentially the way you order your routine so that you're intentional about becoming more like Jesus. They recognize it wouldn't happen by accident. Um, the Apostle Paul seemed to recognize this too. You're like, surely the Apostle Paul, if anybody had it together, it was him, right? Look what, what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. Don't you know that runners in a stadium, they all race, but only one received the, the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. I do not run like one who's just running aimlessly or one who's like boxing the air or beating at the air. Instead, I discipline my body. I build up that endurance if you want to build up, build up. And I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, Paul's using a first century image here that we still recognize today. Sometimes the Bible uses first century images, and we're like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, I have no reference point for that. But we still have 
sports today, right? They had sports in their day, we have sports today. And he's using this example of an athletic competition. I think many of us are hoping for a participation trophy in our spiritual lives um, because we want to become a spiritual person without exercising any effort. But Paul says in the journey of becoming people of peace and joy, people like Jesus, there aren't participation trophies. Just like kind of hanging around and just kind of showing up isn't enough to ask you look like Jesus. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens by establishing a routine in our lives that looks like Jesus' routine. Now, Paul is clearly here referencing the Olympic Games. The modern Olympics date back to 1896, but actually the ancient Greeks uh, created the Olympic Games over 3,000 years ago. Now, the Corinthian church that he's writing to here existed in the ancient city of Corinth, um, and Corinth was very familiar with Olympian games because the Ismanian games were held every two years right outside of the city. We have a picture of the Isthmus, Isthmus of Corinth. It's a near, narrow land bridge here, and you see where they go to now here? But they would actually hold Olympic games here every two years in the ancient world. So the Corinthians that he's writing to, they knew what he was talking about. They went every two years to the Olympic games held outside of their city. And the games there were to honor Poseidon, the god of the sea, in Greek and Roman. Um, that's not Poseidon. That's my <laughs> But because the sea was on either side, um, at the end of the game, if you were a winner, you weren't given a gold medal. You were given a pine wreath because pine needles were supposed to represent Poseidon. And they would take these pine wreaths and they would put them on your head. They would essentially wear Christmas wreaths on their head if they were victors. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's like, those who really practiced self-control, those who really trained and were able to win, they got a crown on their head. The crown of living and looking and loving like Jesus is a result of how we discipline our routines. Now, I was reading about Michael Phelps and how he's doing that. There's literally no picture on the internet where he's wearing a shirt. I tried to find him. Does not exist. Um, he's all shirtless. I know some of you are real happy about that. Others are like, I was reading, though, about his Olympic training regimen. Um, he started swimming when he was seven years old, and he was usually swimming four or more hours a day. He trained every day, even if it was a holiday or his birthday, he wouldn't take off from swimming at least four hours a day. His training usually started at 8 a.m. and ended at 4 p.m. He did muscle training and swimming training and running and breathing training. Training for the Olympics consumes you. While his friends were at parties or they were dating, he was training. Um, and I started reading about other Olympians, like what kind of training regimens did they have? Like how passionate were they? They built their entire life around their routine of becoming Olympians. And I had to stop thinking, have I built my entire life around the routine of becoming like Jesus? Or is it a little addition onto my routine? Let's focus on something else. As I read more and more about these Olympians and their training, I saw a pattern. Parents would move closer to pools and gyms and took different jobs because the priority that redefined everything else in their life was what kind of athlete was my child becoming? Now, we can talk about whether or not that's healthy, but I think that Paul is making a reference here. He says it's all consuming when you become passionate about winning one of these Olympic events. And Paul's suggesting that we make it all-consuming when we think about becoming like Jesus. 
Paul is suggesting that when it comes to becoming like Jesus, when it comes to what kind of person we're turning into, we can't afford to approach our spirituality as a hobby or as a, a, a side interest. We have to ask ourselves, is becoming a person of peace and joy my top priority? Does everything else in life revolve around it? Am I willing to reshuffle everything else in my life if it means I'm becoming a person of peace and joy? I'm becoming a person of love. We never become people of peace and joy by accident. It's always by now, Paul says here that he doesn't want to preach to others and find out that in the end, he didn't look like Jesus. He didn't love like Jesus. He didn't become like Jesus. That's what he says here at the end of this passage when he's like, um, I would hate to find that I preached to other people and then at the end, I was disqualified in the race. I didn't actually achieve my goal of looking like Jesus. In fact, in a few chapters in the same letter, in chapter 13, he's going to say, you know what? If you preach great sermons and it draws huge crowds, or you even you do miracles, but you're not a person of love, you've wasted your life. And what Paul says is, I've started churches, I've preached great messages, I've gone all kinds of places, I've seen miracles happen, and I've done miracles. And he says, it's pointless if I don't end up becoming a person of love. Jesus put it like this in Mark 8.36. 836. What good is it if you gain everything in the entire world, but you lose your soul? And Darby and I watched One Woman 1984 this week. I thought it was a good movie. I'm sorry if you're a hater and you're like, it's a terrible movie. I thought it was really good. Um, in it, there's a wish-fulfilling object. I won't give away too many spoilers if you haven't seen it yet. Um, but there's a wish-fulfilling object that promises to give you what you wish for, but it always comes at the cost of what you value most. You have to give up what is most precious to you to get your wish. And one of the characters feels like a loser and just wants to become rich and prove that he's got it, that he's successful, that he deserves respect. But he ends up losing his son as a traitor. By the end, he realizes that having all the money and respect and power in the world isn't worth losing the love of his son. I have to stop and think, what am I willing to do? And many times, what I find is I'm willing to lose becoming like Jesus in order to achieve something. Many of us trade who we are becoming, our soul, for a little more money, for fame, for success, for comfort, for status. Paul says the most important thing about you, the most important thing about me is, do we look like Jesus? Are we people of peace and joy? Are we people of love? Are we becoming people of Dallas Willard says that discipline is something in your power to do that you do in order to enable you to do what you cannot do by direct effort. In what the world, like, what did Dallas Willard say? He's saying, like, you know what? I don't have it in my power. Like, I'm overweight. And I'm like, man, I really love to lose weight. Lose weight! I can't just will myself to lose weight, right? If you could, we'd all be, like, super fit, right? But you know what is in my power? To control what I eat. To control how often I exercise. Um, control whether or not I'm like, oh, it's midnight, but you know, this snack after here looks really good. I'm going to eat it. I can control those things, and those, in effect, control what I can't control. That's what Dallas Willard says is a difficulty. And I think that in our spiritual life, we long to become like Jesus, people of peace and joy, people who can go through a year like 2020 and be level and not like emotionally up and down. 
people who can become people of love, who are not impatient and angry and miserable. But that happens not because we just will ourselves to do that, but because we take control of what we can, our routines, our spiritual disciplines. We want to become people of peace and joy, but it's not in our power to just will ourselves to do that. What is in our power is choosing a routine that makes you into such a person. If you change your routine, I believe you change your destiny. You change the trajectory of your life when you change your routine. So I want us all to take some serious time this week and consider developing a rule of life. Now, I'm going to post two resources after this message. I'm going to post them online on our social media pages and on our website. These are from two other churches who have developed a simple guide to developing your own rule of life. I put a simple piece of paper in your seat that I developed. This is like super script down version. The ones I'm going to post online are much better, much more robust. I'm not going to tell you what should be in your rule of life because if I told you, then it's just some rules I've thrown on you. You've got to develop your own thing. I'm going to tell you right now, Darby is an extrovert, I'm an introvert. Mine's going to include a lot more reading, a lot more silence and solitude and meditation and thinking. And Darby's is going to include a lot more community and connection because we have different personalities. Your rule of life doesn't have to look like anybody else's. It's your decision about how am I going to structure my life in order to become the type of person I want to be at the end of my life. The type of person where I don't want to just have a bunch of stuff and nobody wants to be around me because I'm a miserable, hateful person. I'd much rather be a person of love at the end of my life because I've chosen daily to build into my life some routines that have led to me becoming a person that I've always wanted. Now, I like to think about it like this. When you're building a rule of life, it simply comes down to this. What am I doing today? that is going to make me a person more full of joy and peace tomorrow? What am I doing this week that's going to make me more of a person of love next week? What am I doing this month that's going to make me more of a person of peace and joy and love next month, and this quarter, and this next year? What am I structuring into my life? What am I building into my life that's going to change who I become? Now, I'm just going to give you um, an example. This is mine that I'm working on. This is a work in progress. And that's a good thing about this. You get to change it. You get to add it. If you say, hey, this part's really hard, I'm going to back off of that a little bit. I'm going to change it up. Maybe you say, you know what? I'm doing really well with this. I'm going to increase it. I'm going to try to do it more. This is just me sharing what I'm working on right now. And this could change. Um, just so you have an idea. Each day I'm going to write down three things that I'm grateful for. I'm not just going to think them because this is what happens. When I think them, I forget them. When I write them down, I remember them. And I can go back and see, look at all the good things that happened. My mind instantly goes to what is not going well. That's just how I'm structured. I always see the critical fails and what could be better. I do not naturally go to three things to be grateful for, but it resets my day when I start my day that way. Get outside and look at the sky. Just take five minutes. For me, it somehow resets my brain when I look at the sky and I remember the sky up there. Whether it's cloudy or blue, whether it's sunny or snowy and sad, like just remembering that there's an outside is good for my soul. Um, praying, on, there's nothing special about praying on your knees, but for me, I have to remember my body and my soul have one being. And sometimes getting on my knees just reminds me of who I am and who God is. I can pray standing up, you can pray any way you want, but for me, it helps humble me to get on my knees, to physically put myself on my knees. 
I listen to a spiritual podcast every day. This is just a way for, you know what? I preach up here most weeks. I need to hear someone speaking into my life too. And so there's a couple of preachers I listen to all throughout the week. And I try to listen to somebody every day. Read scripture every day because I believe God speaks through scripture. And I think that when I hear from God, it helps me become a person of peace, joy, love. Limit cell phone use. I've talked about this over and over again. The more we look at screens, the higher our anxiety levels. Studies after studies have shown that. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm a better person when I sleep eight hours a day. If I can get nine, even better. But I'm more patient, and I'm more kind. I'm more loving when I get eight hours. So I'm going to try to make it a goal to get eight hours of sleep. Um, weekly, I won't go through all these, but you can see some of these things I'm going to try to do each week. Some of these things I'm going to try to do each month. And I'm going to try to think of some more things to do quarterly. Um, and this can evolve and change. Now, science tells us it takes about 40 days to establish a new routine. So don't beat yourself up when you're like, oh, man, it's day two and I didn't do everything. It's okay. Start small. Start simple. Build upon what you're doing. Your old routine is a deep, dug trough. So don't be discouraged by setbacks. It may take as many as 80 days, according to science, to set a new routine and to reestablish, to kind of pave over your old routine. But in the first quarter of this year, let's say it takes 80 days, you could establish a new routine to become a person by the end of the year that's more peaceful, more joyous, and more loving. Now, a rule of life isn't a legalistic guide so you can compare to other people and be like, oh, Al, my rule of life is so much better than yours. Like, someday you get on my level, but, you know, yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit will help you get there someday. That is not what this is. Many times that's what church stuff becomes, right? Like, we're like, oh, I'm reading the Bible every day. You're reading it every two days? Mm, no, you're not here yet. That's not what this is. This isn't a scorecard. The Latin word that they used for rule of life was the same word for trellis. Like you would put a trellis by a grapevine to help it reach its full potential and be healthy and produce lots of fruit. A trellis doesn't control the grapevine. A trellis helps guide the grapevine to fulfill its purpose, to be fruitful, to be healthy. A rule of life should be the same thing for you. It's a guide to help you become the type of person that we all long to be. And so no one else gets to make it for you. You get to set your own thing. You're setting your own trellis. If you leave your routine to chance, though, you leave the type of person you're becoming to chance. I believe we're interconnected beings. We are souls and bodies. What our soul does affects our bodies, and what our bodies do affects our souls. You know when you're, like, super depressed and it begins showing up in physical symptoms? Why is that? Because you're an interconnected being, a soul and a body. And you know when I get eight hours of sleep, I'm a lot more patient, like Jesus, towards my wife than when I get four hours of sleep. Why is that? Because we're interconnected beings. At the end of 2021, regardless of what comes, I want to be a person that lives and loves more like Jesus, and that won't happen by accident. It'll happen by the routine I establish today, and then I repeat tomorrow, and the next day, and the next. I don't know what's going to happen in 2021. I sure hope it's better than 2020, right? There's no guarantee that we'll be able to continue to meet together here. This building could go away, or it just... You can't meet here anymore. Life may take you far away. No Olympian would expect to win a medal if they only trained one day a week. And yet many of us expect Sunday to be the one day of spiritual training that equips us to win the prize of becoming like Jesus. 
I need to do what I can to help equip you to become people of peace and joy, even if you don't show up here, even if you're, we can't meet together. There's a lot, there's six other days besides Sunday, right? And if you establish a rule of life, it'll start spiritually forming you into the type of person you want to be. If you just rely on coming here once a week, it won't be enough. We must establish a rule of life so that we're becoming like Jesus seven days a week. So I want you to take some time this afternoon, take some time this week, and I want you to develop a rule of life in order to become a person of peace and joy. Now, I like charts. That's the kind of boring, dry personality that I am. I love charts. Um, and you saw the chart I used. You don't have to use a chart. I know some of you, my wife is artistic and creative. She probably looked at that chart and a little bit of her soul died. You know, like, make it into a song. Write a song about your world of life. Write a, paint a painting. You know, put it on canvas. Put it on art. Find your way to express the world of life. It doesn't have to be the way that I do it. I like charts. I like lists. Um, but take some time to sit down and say, what can I do today that I can repeat tomorrow That'll help me become the type of person that I want to be in a year, five years, at the end of my life. How will you grow in your apprenticeship to Jesus this year? And as you begin practicing your plan, tweak it, expand it. And here's something very important that I want you to do. Share it with somebody close to you. If it's somebody in your home, great. If not, share it with someone who sees you a lot, like someone at work. And then I want you to share it with someone outside your home, someone who's going to encourage you and inspire you to keep going. Don't share it with someone who's going to chastise you when you get off track, but share it with someone who's going to inspire you with the vision of a better future. Most of us spend our entire life trying to accomplish something meaningful. I've come to deeply believe that God is way more interested in who you are becoming than what you are accomplishing. People spend a lifetime looking for the meaning of life. The answer is simple. Life is about you becoming an apprentice of Jesus. Life is about you and me, all of us, becoming people of love.